0: But if you really wanna take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly, beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's a beautiful morning. What's up everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, different week around here at the start of a different next couple of weeks uh, as with me as always is usually Brandon Newman finishing up his move down to the great state of Florida we're very excited for Brandon and because of that because of the holidays coming up it means we had to restructure things a little bit for the next couple of weeks so how this is going to go in case you weren't with- listening at the end of last week with us We are going to, for the next two weeks, starting Monday, uh, that is December 19th, if you're listening to this today, going to release three podcasts a week for the next two weeks. So We're going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a lot of these are interviews that we've done beforehand, pre-recorded things with some of our favorite guests. This week, you're going to hear from ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes today. Very excited to talk with her about some NFL championship windows for your favorite NFL football teams. We're going to talk to Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack. Swarbrick on Wednesday, and then our dear friend Katie Nolan on Friday for this week. So we're very excited about the slate of guests that we have coming up. We obviously know uh, you guys are used to getting us five days a week around here. We appreciate everyone, as always, who's downloaded, subscribed, rated, and reviewed us, given us that five-star rating, and checked us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and gotten used to that each and every day here. Again, this is just a two-week thing here. We've got plenty in the vault. I'm sure with five days a week, you've built up a couple and missed. And um, I mean, while I got you here at the same time, before we get to this wonderful interview with ESPN NFL analyst, Mina Kimes, uh, did we just do sports cocaine this weekend? That was one of top to bottom the crazier weekends we've seen, what with the start of bowl season in college football, the NFL being played on Saturday, Sunday, and the World Cup final finishing up Sunday morning here. And that feels like the only appropriate place to start. I know a lot of people have asked us why we don't cover soccer more on this podcast. If it all looked like that World Cup final where Argentina prevailed over France in penalty kicks in the World Cup final, there would be a lot more American soccer fans. Because let me tell you, I know the Super Bowl and a lot of the NFL events are probably going to rate better in this country. I don't think we will see a better sporting event. This year, I think, you know, I know as we're trailing into the end of 2022, that probably seems silly now, but that'll probably end up being the best sporting event of the 2022 calendar year that we saw with Kylian Mbappe, the star 23 year old French striker who ended up taking home the Golden Boot Award, scored the most goals in this tournament, had a hat trick in the World Cup final for the defending uh, World Cup champion French team going up against Lionel Messi, who had two goals of his own, uh, scored in the PKs as well, and finally gets the one thing that had been eluding his resume here. This game, if you're really unfamiliar with the names that we mentioned and we haven't heard us talk on this podcast with uh, Ally and Ashlyn from the Most Important Thing podcast here in DraftKings, the World Cup champions themselves, about just what rarefied air Mbappe is getting ready to touch, what a freak athlete his, he is. Or if you're not familiar with the name Messi, who along with Cristiano Ronaldo has been one of the two most talked about, two greatest soccer players of a generation and, and could arguably be the greatest of all time. This was essentially like if you had, and I will say for Mbappe and Messi respectively here, if you had Miami Heat era prime LeBron James going up in a final against you know Michael Jordan, I would say at the end of the 98 Bulls run, and they both scored 40 in game seven of the finals, that's more or less what we got in this situation. It it was hard to wrap your mind around a game where France uh, was down to nothing for the vast majority of the game, spent about 80 minutes of this game behind before mounting a furious comeback on an Mbappe penalty kick and then a miraculous goal that ultimately drove them to extra time. It was leading into the one o'clock window, which God bless some of those teams that ended up playing in a really entertaining window who had to follow that act. It was a true joy to watch and i will say this the ending of that watching the celebration from argentina the one thing that i believe that soccer broadcast booths do better than most is the the i should say the you know the us booths the ones that are you know broadcast uh, over here and not to say you know the argentina home call that was electric all these different things the booths that broadcast uh, uh, in america the fox booth They all do such an outstanding job of laying out and letting the moment speak for itself and watching that Argentina team crumple onto the turf, watching their fans in the crowd react to that, seeing and hearing the explosion of sound. It was as breathtaking and compelling a sports moment as I can remember, and there wasn't a word uttered for about two minutes of broadcast time. So it was beautiful. The whole thing was an incredible showcase, and I feel like we'll... It, we'll all remember that one for a good long while because you have arguably the greatest of all time going up against a player that could be the next greatest of all time and both somehow managed to muster the best possible game they could in the most important game than they could. It was... Incredible. And that gave way to a sports weekend where we had already, Saturday, the day before in the NFL, watched the largest regular season comeback in NFL history when the Minnesota Vikings came back from down 33 against the Indianapolis Colts. And man alive, Matt Ryan. I appreciated his wife, uh, Sarah, who went to Twitter and tweeted after the world cup match that this was so exciting. Can't imagine thinking or, you know, something to the extent of this was so exciting. Uh, Glad we don't have to worry about or talk about anything else exciting that happened in the NFL in the last – oh, here it is. Sarah Ryan, what an incredible game between Argentina and France. Makes you totally forget about anything crazy that may have happened in the NFL yesterday. Send tweet. Uh, Flawless note. But I I do feel for Matt Ryan, he's now a part of the biggest regular season and postseason comebacks in NFL history, and really so much of this goes on to the Colts' offense and what they just were not able to do. Over the course of this game here, there were multiple spots at the end of that game where the Colts D has an interception with eight minutes left in that game on Kirk Cousins while they're still leading by a score that should have iced the game. They sat Kirk Cousins on fourth and 15 with three minutes left in that game off a turnover by the offense that had given them the ball in an advantageous field position. The defense bowed up and did their job down the stretch of this game even as Justin Jefferson and this Minneapolis offense Minnesota offense started to really light it up and do what they're usually capable of doing. Uh, that offense just failed at every juncture, bad early down passing and nothing in third down, nothing to speak of there and getting big first downs. And so that one's going to haunt them for a good long while. It's been a, a real roller coaster of emotions for Jeff Saturday ever since he took over. But this is a tough one for for that group and that team to wear. That one already Incredible on Saturday, gave way into the rest of the night and the rest of the weekend. The Bills uh, managed to go and squeeze one out a game-winning field goal as time expires in that game to take down the Miami Dolphins. As snow only fell in the fourth quarter of that game, uh, kept it pretty simple, clean track for uh, the vast majority of the game. And the one thing that became abundantly clear this weekend... One, the Miami Dolphins, very complete football team offensively. That run game against a Bills D-line that we spent a lot of time singing the praises of, Raheem Mostert, gained a lot of really tough, important yards right down State Street of that defense for Buffalo. But for Buffalo on offense, on the other side of that, them and the Chiefs made it abundantly clear this weekend as the Chiefs squeaked one out in overtime against the Houston Texans that have been giving people hell in a cell for the last couple of weeks is those two offenses will only go as far as the quarterbacks will take them. I know the Buffalo technically has better weapons since Stephon Diggs lived there. That's no disrespect to Travis Kelsey, who's incredible. It's just different. But you can very clearly see both of those offenses so limited outside of what their quarterback can do. For Buffalo, their run game really only exists as long as Josh Allen is involved in the Primary source of it. The passing game relied on so many incredible scramble plays that he managed to get to downfield. It it was incredible to watch down the stretch as they did muster a ground game as the snow was falling in the fourth quarter on that final drive to get them in field goal range. They had it when they needed it, and there's something to be said for having, you know, I I worked with Chris Canty, the former Super Bowl champion from the Giants, who always said, you know, be at your best when your best is required, and that's certainly what Buffalo did, but painfully clear on offense. They're only going to go as far as Josh did, and as his, you know, accuracy, I think, starts to get tuned in more and more uh, further and further from that elbow injury down the stretch. That's going to be important for them. And the Bills' defense, they continue to do what we talked about going up against the Dolphins. They had to live by the sword and die by the sword. Tredavious White, their great defensive back, was the chief example of this because he got up and tried to get his hands on Waddle and Tyreek Hill for the majority of the game. And when Miami decided to throw short, have things go underneath, they were capable of going to work with it. He got beat a couple of times deep. Got beat a couple of times deep by those receivers for some big catches and some big plays. You just got to be willing to concede it. That seems to be the general consensus now going up against this offense. that again, the short area passing game was probably the one thing that really struggled in Miami. I thought some of the third and short pass calls for them were pretty suspect, uh, especially when your guys are so capable going deep and were able to get some wins there throughout the game. But give Buffalo's uh, secondary credit for stepping up big in some of those spots and, and finding a way to just go out there. And again, next play, next play. That's the best thing I can say about Tredavious White, who's a pro bowler and an all pro is that was the ultimate next play mentality game here because that guy got beat and like many great defensive backs, didn't let it affect him one iota. Um, the other biggest news out of the weekend as it kind of factors into the playoff picture and everything is... What happened with the Dallas Cowboys? So, uh, coming off the weekend, Buffalo, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Dallas Cowboys have now all clinched ca- playoff spots. For Dallas, it's interesting because they did it in a backbreaking overtime loss to the Jags, gave that game away at the end of the game, an interception uh, for a touchdown in overtime by the Jags to win that game, even though because the Washington Commanders then lost on Sunday night football. The, or the, excuse me, the Cowboys now do clinch a postseason spot for back-to-back seasons. And so very World Cup-esque in getting out of the group stage, even with a loss in this game. The biggest worry ends up being what happened to the Dallas Cowboys on the ground because now they're in a stretch with three games in 12 days. They play the Eagles on Christmas Eve and then the Titans on the 29th. So they're going to be in the dance. But when you look at how it went down in this last game, The rushing defense, again for the Cowboys, remains a massive problem. Uh, The Jags ran for almost 200 yards on the ground, 192 yards, including 103 from Travis Etienne himself, who put the ball on the mat this game, but they were productive. They moved them east and west a lot, tons of motions, got the ball out on bubble screens, reverses, made an already thin defense in the middle, really have to start to think more instead of going straight upfield and it it cost them big time. I I thought, you know, honestly, the Jags D-line stepped up big and got pressure in some critical moments as well, but that Cowboys run defense in an NFC where the Eagles and the 49ers are the big bads on the block right now that you're going to have to contend with really doesn't make me feel good about this team going into the postseason, but that is where they are at this point. The rest of the playoff picture gets pretty interesting, Uh, The Chargers have now jumped up into the sixth seed. They beat the Titans this weekend. And after that wild finish for the Las Vegas Raiders against New England, where New England inexplicably on a play that was supposed to run out the clock for overtime, uh, throws the ball back uh, and gets intercepted by Chandler Jones, who takes it the other way for a touchdown in a play that is incredibly not Bill Belichickian now vaults the Los Angeles Chargers into the sixth seed in the postseason. They're in an incredibly advantageous position going forward are the Chargers. And now it sets up in the AFC a really interesting scenario with the Jags, where now all of a sudden when you look at the position Jacksonville find themselves in, getting ready to play the Jets on a short week, who are also on the outside looking in currently, they lose a game to the Detroit Lions, You've got it set up down the stretch where Jacksonville, the Patriots, and the Jets are all going to be vying for a spot. So you've got what feels like a a playoff game going into this week with the Jets on a short week where the Jets are probably still going to be working with Zach Wilson, who was up and down like we've usually seen from him in this loss and for the Jags beat up on the offensive line at both tackle spots going up against that Jets defensive line. It's really hard to tell for a Jags team that's been kind of hard to tell as the Patriots continue to lurk right there. The NFC playoff picture is my favorite one because after that win, the Detroit Lions put their nuts all over the field again. A fourth and one, beautiful design pass to Brock Wright. Fourth and inches with the game on the line that ends up scoring the game-winning touchdown in that play as Detroit hangs on after really what was an incredible battle between that offense and the Jets' defense all weekend. They're now in a position where they really have to win out. Them, Seattle, and Washington vying for that seventh spot. In the, uh, in the end of this, I think we said a couple of weeks ago, in the last four games of the season, Detroit had to win two more games than either of those teams if they wanted to sneak into the seventh spot. However that shook out, however that number came, they needed to win two more games than Seattle or Washington down the stretch of the season. And i got a feeling they might be able to do it, gang. Their last three games, Carolina, the Bears, and on the road at Green Bay – One of the easier schedules on paper left of the contenders there. So love to watch this work out for the Lions. Would be fantastic to see Dan Campbell and this group manage to rattle off as many as they have, win straight to end the season, and sneak their way into the postseason. It was a whirlwind of a weekend. We are getting down the stretch of an awesome NFL season. So like I said, uh, again, as a reminder for this week here. Oh, uh, by the way, I did want to give out, since we do roses on Monday here, I'd be remiss if I didn't sneak this in. Tyron Smith Smith for the Dallas Cowboys. Coming back from injury after being injured before the season and flipping over to right tackle, where we know he had played left tackle for – pretty much the entirety of his career, I believe, but once very early in his career, had he gone over to the right side has played left tackle his entire career, came back from injury all season, and because Tyler Smith, their rookie, had been so comfortable over at left tackle, the veteran and Tyron Smith ended up going to the right side, along with Jason Peters, the 40-year-old veteran who came over from Philadelphia after having a Hall of Fame career at left tackle, moving and those two alternating over at right tackle. Wasn't easy. There were some spots that they got edged. You're really trying to rethink everything. I think it was Joe Thomas that likens switching sides of the offensive line to white your ass with your off hand. Even for the best, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do after a career of having all of your biomechanics trained to work one way on the line. I can't stress enough how difficult that is, how selfless it was for players of their caliber to defer and say, hey, we want to make sure our rookie has the best chance since he's going to be one of the best five out there, and we're going to go and make it work on the other side. They get the rose for the week. Jason Peters and Tyron Smith can share that one because that was really incredible to watch from both of those guys. Uh, So, again, thank you guys, as always, for sticking with us here. Again, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday next week. We'll be back five days a week to start the new year, heading into and coming off the college football playoff semis, heading into the college football playoff title, and getting ready for some playoff football in the NFL as well. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll visit with ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes and look at some championship windows. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. Uh, These are the Christmas pods. So uh, with me, as always, is not Brandon Newman uh, for this right now. It is... Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. You guys know her also as the host of the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, uh, one of the best football podcasts out there. Mina, how you doing? Hi.
1: Merry Christmas? Almost Merry Christmas? After? I don't know when you're running this, so...
0: You know, we don't a 100% either. It's going to be somewhere in the... I feel like you've got the week before and the week after. I leave my tree up well through January, so I feel like it kind of plays all in that range. All right. Happy Holidays. There we go. Yeah, that's not not a bad way to go about it. As I sit here inches from my Christmas tree that I ran into. I ran into the big problem this year when I went to decorate in a new apartment. I didn't know where to get, you know, on Christmas tree ornaments, how they have the little attachment piece that you've got to put in there. It's like a lighter paper clip. I couldn't find those anywhere. And so I ended up having to use actual paper clips, and it made the whole process of decorating the tree way less enjoyable.
1: I actually have no idea where we got ours that we use, but maybe they came with the ornaments. Anyways, yeah. Yeah,
0: no. Mm. Yeah, very, very, very strange here. Do you guys... Do you, like, do you do anything for the holidays? Do you have anything that uh, you and Nick do? Uh,
1: well, I'm going to Nashville to be mm. with my family. I haven't I haven't been there, I think, since last Christmas. No, I went once during the summer. That's not right. Um, but still have a Christmas tree. Just leaving a, a few days before Christmas for that. I'm actually going to do... A couple episodes of nfl live from my parents house which i did last year too um in front of the background that my mom has set up for me which includes her like her altar to her dog so it's behind me they're just like many figurines of winston their dog making his nfl live cameo Uh, it's not my house
0: so the minute you moved out, they just replaced pictures of you with pictures of Winston. Or Are you in still pretty healthy competition with the dog?
1: No, that would imply it's an equal amount. There's more pictures of Winston. There's more. St- there's there were no statues of me. There's it's custom. There's like they have a custom. I don't mean to like blow up my parents' spot here, but they have a custom replica of their dog. Have you ever seen those? It's like a stuffed animal company that makes a stuffed animal that supposedly looks exactly like your dog.
0: Oh, buddy, my parents have two of them.
1: <laughs> it's so weird. The funniest thing is showing it to the dog.
0: <laughs> yes. it's It very much feels like in a movie where time travel is involved, <laughs> where you're not supposed to see each other in the same timeline.
1: But the dog, I mean, I think most dogs are like, this looks nothing like me, and I don't know what this is. You know, there's not.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah. How how dare you? This is, this. am I a joke to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the it, it's it's like the point that uh, you brought up at one point. Whenever people are listening to this on the internet, about how mm-hmm. for most people, your celebrity doppelganger, the idea is that the comparison is an inherently positive one. <laughs> and when I was at a Chargers game, I saw a guy in the jumbotron get compared they were putting up game of thrones comps for everyone which first off Ah, there were some ones where they were wading into some pretty dangerous Dangerous. waters (laughs) especially especially with the valerian crew from house of dragon this season i'm like Uh, i don't know if i like the direction this is going uh as they search for the one guy with dreads in the stadium that they can find but um they got to Joffrey Baratheon and that was what really spurred it loose because the guy they put up there on the board celebrating it clearly had he not seen stoked. the show. I mean, he it, yeah,
1: he did look stoked. It's funny because he kind of looked like Matt Money Smith who works for the Chargers. Um, but <laughs> oh, so, I, yeah, so I replied to you and I said, well, what's like because people always say, what's a celebrity look like? You choose. Pe- generally, people err on the side of being flattering when whether it's a male when whatever, when they t- give you, hey, you look like this person, you're not going to like, throw out you know you look like a, I'm even afraid to say negative celebrities what? because I don't want to like insinuate that they're but um, you, you threw out Zach Galfinakis, I might say his name wrong uh, which uh, then a bunch of guys said so I think he's kind of yeah, a universal more- donor as I call it
0: yeah, it's uh, ever I've I've maintained for a while. Every bald, bearded white guy looks the same, like me, Ryan Rosillo, mm. Kyle Long, all just basically like variants mm. off the all bald guy. So I don't know yeah. who the origin is, but we're just variants.
1: Mine is just any Asian woman who looks nothing like me.
0: <laughs> like Got it. Yeah, like
1: you look like Lucy Lou. I looked like nothing like like you. Literally, she's just Asian. Oh uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, those yeah. are those are the those that have a certain avatar uh, affixed to those kinds of profiles that would probably offer that one up.
1: And then I have another one, but this is one that I've revealed for myself. So I felt like I can't throw it out as one that I don't like. Um, Jorson, jo- Joseph Gordon-Lovett from Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, actually, the real one is um, shit with Tim Lincecum. Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, me! wait, no. Yeah, you know,
1: just picture me in a hat. Somebody made a really deranged mashup of the two of us it's oh, on the internet God. somewhere. I think a lebtard listener. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. That's that's one of those images we probably need to kill with fire. Yeah, It's out there. Uh, yeah, it's it's getting dark out here. Happy holidays indeed to everyone here. Let the Mina Kimes, Tim mash mashup haunt your dreams. Someone <laughs> out my, there. My gift to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, Mina, uh, since we were uh, going to jump up here and I didn't know exactly what week this is going to relief and I didn't want to paint us into a corner too badly with any specific team news since especially this time of year we see so many injuries and so many things pop up. There were a couple of uh, general things. I want to play a game with mm-hmm. you um, that I have dubbed window shopping because I Ooh. work in radio. I start with a kitschy name and I work backwards. Um, so I want to do some of that, but I also wanted to touch on something because I realize you and I talk about this a lot via text and otherwise in and out of football season. And it sort of manifests itself in a major way this year of the NFL's approach to the run game for so much of this season. I know you and the crew on NFL Live have done a fair amount on just – how the run game has changed, the way that the usage has evolved over the course of this season, and some of the things that you found there. And as we've gotten into December, I know that was a little bit earlier, I think in October or November, have you seen that kind of hold up as what we saw from teams like the Giants, certainly led by teams like the Niners and the Eagles early on in the season, kind of held up as this league sort of shift back into bigger ball?
1: I think, yeah, you're definitely seeing – I. I... I think, like, when we did that, there were a lot of offenses near the top. I would throw up Cleveland, Atlanta, Detroit at the time that had better rushing attacks and passing attacks, maybe. And, um, or at least, uh, you know, th- they're thought of that way. And now I think when you look at the top 10 offenses, I don't have them in front of me. It's mostly offenses that can do both. And I think that is notably different from. I don't know, three or four years ago when there were some offenses where really all you had to do with pass was pass the ball, right? Like I think of, you know, like when the Bills started using all that 10 personnel, or but frankly, Arizona, but um, or Kansas City, uh, you know, at, at, earlier in Mahomes' career was not a good rushing team. Uh, now they are. They don't always do it, however. But when I look at the top offenses in the league, they, they, they're they pretty, not necessarily balanced in the ratio, but balanced in their ability, I would say to throw and run. And I think, I think that seems to be the theme right now with NFL, the Eagles being the, the, probably the poster child for this is the best offenses and defenses are ones that can do like a lot of things and respond to a lot of different looks and or to create different looks in the case of defenses. And I think, um, you know, like the Eagles every week have such a different game plan based on their opponent. They are the best rushing team. I don't know if they're the best rushing team of football by DVA, but they certainly have the capability of being it. But we've seen a lot of games, especially recently, against good run defenses where they've decided to just throw the ball. Um, and, you know, having that change up, having that multiplicity is what makes them so good.
0: Yeah, I I just I pulled up the list of top offenses based on efficiency from where we sat right now. And it's the usual suspects that people would expect Kansas City at number one, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and then Miami rounds out the top five with San Fran, Dallas, Detroit, Vegas, and the Seahawks actually making an appearance at 10, which kind of speaks to the. Yeah, Vegas, yeah, that one a little bit. Better running
1: team than passing team.
0: (laughs) uh, Certainly. And I think with a lot of these, like a lot of the ones you mentioned, like Atlanta, I think of certainly Chicago with Justin Fields for so much of this season. And even New York with what Brian Dable came in and did, which was so different than what we had seen in Buffalo, it does seem like a lot of coaches have sort of looked to that as a very easy way to raise your team's floor if you've got to be a little bit quarterback agnostic for the time being.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I also think it's a way to keep your quarterback swimming until he either gets better or you, you elevate him. Right? I mean, that's something I think for Bears fans to kind of hang your hat on because there's some consternation. Okay, Justin Fields. So much of it is his rushing, but is he developing enough as a passer? Um, you know, at this point now, we have two quarterbacks in the last few years who made leaps in terms of their accuracy and decision-making that really didn't used to happen. And and Josh Allen, and then when Josh Allen did it, we said, well, that's never going to happen again. Well, Jalen Hurts is kind of doing it. It's a different sort of leap. It's a different sort of quarterback. And you could argue maybe less of a change than Allen made, but I, I, I would say it is actually pretty comparable, especially from the guy we saw in college. And both of those quarterbacks, I think, were buoyed early on by their dual threat ability so that they could kind of fill in the rest um, early on in their career. That combined, of course, with being in incredible situations, well-run teams, both having number one wide receivers given to them made all the difference. But um, yeah, I think being able to lean on that rushing game as the rest gets fleshed out is something we're seeing too.
0: Yeah, I I feel like especially you bringing up Jalen, and that's a super interesting case study, because I feel like we've spent so much of this season having a very toxic conversation about certain quarterbacks (laughs) and not really talking a lot about like, yeah. Jalen hurts relative to preseason expectations. Like where were you on him coming into the season as far as what you thought he could be as a starter?
1: I liked him a lot, but I did watch the Wildcard game right before the season, where the bucks, I thought, put on, you know, a, a clinic in playing him. And, you know, I, I I don't think it would be reasonable to have come away from that game being doubtful about, okay, well, where is his ceiling? Has he reached it?, um, you know, just is he he looks a bit skittish in the pocket. Um, he's not playing fast enough. Um, you know, it's, it's it, with Jalen. It's never been like, he's always had a pretty good arm. Like it's, it, it, it's, I would say less, it, which is sort of, it's, it's, it's different from Josh Allen because Josh Allen, it was like the accuracy was all over the place with Jalen. I think it was more like the timing of it. his, his timing is internal clock, but it's impossible for me not to watch the Eagles this year and feel and and witness like the improvements that he's made in that specific respect and his decision-making, the timing, his ability to throw with anticipation, which was something you really only saw fleetingly last season. Um, So it is a pretty incredible leap. And you're right. It has been like a little bit overshadowed. Like we haven't really, we talk about how good he is, but I think we aren't talking a lot about how much better he is from year one. But of course, this was a guy who every year in college made those types of leaps. So it shouldn't be that surprising when you consider his obvious work ethic.
0: No, and and you're right. Like his game in a lot of ways is certainly not the same and his gifts aren't the same as Josh's, but I think you're right. in the trajectory has been really similar. And, you know, the through line with a lot of this is as you pointed out where you land and how much that matters. Like that's been another one of those parts of the conversation around Tua this season that I've always pointed out as yeah. everyone talks about the weapons and stuff. It's like he just finally kind of got the chance this year to have a chance based on what the situation was around him and catering to his strengths in the way that we saw organizations like Baltimore do to an extent with Lamar Jackson, Buffalo do with Josh, now Philadelphia do with Jalen also. So there, it, I feel like that's now the chief worry for a place like Chicago is can Ryan Poles and this new group come in and try and mimic yeah. some of that because you've got so many holes to fill around him at this point.
1: Yeah, it's like the combination of organizational buy-in and also organizational Um, know-how, decision-making. Is the coach good enough offensively? Do you have the right guy? Um, And yeah, like those examples do have all of those things and it's hard to know at this point. I mean, the Bears go into next season, of course, with draft picks and a ton of cap space and it'll be really curious to see what they do. This is a big part with Geno Smith in Seattle. Um, Like, I think... Kind of lost in the whole Russell Wilson decline, Geno Russell in Denver, Seattle, whatever. Is that Geno Smith has probably one of the most underrated wide receiver pairings in the league? ESPN has this like catch score metric, which is based on uh, tracking where they look at you know openness. They're they're counting for everything, positioning and defenders in the field, all of that, and the throws. And Tyler Lockett like routinely ranks. I think he might be the top receiver right now, and people are always really shocked by that. Um, but as
0: a longtime Tyler Lockett fantasy owner, I draft him pretty much every year. I am in no way shocked by that. That yeah. man is a magician.
1: I mean, he's incredible. And I think, yeah, like a, it shouldn't be too surprising that in some way it's surprising that Juno's playing well, but it is surprising because the offensive line people didn't think that the protection would be there, but the receivers certainly are.
0: Yeah, and I mean, for the offensive line standpoint, the fact that you're so young and it's gotten there ahead of schedule too has to feel like a huge coup for that team. Because so, like, getting into it, like I called the game window dressing uh, or window 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 shopping shopping because we always talk we always talk about everyone's championship window. And I know that's, you know, a kind of a sports talky, gas baggy conversation, but I think it's kind of an interesting way to look at some of these teams that have made major changes, like Seattle, like Denver, and seeing some of the immediate returns on how we sort of view the teams and their futures. Because I would look at it, I, drew, I broke it down into four categories. Okay. I had an open window, like firmly open. We believe right now they're in the middle of it. Teams that have quarterback and head coach that are aligned that, like you said, can do a lot of different things on offense. So a lot of the teams that we named, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, the Eagles, the 49ers, and I even threw the Ravens in there because right now you've got so many of the core things that line up. Even the offense is suffering because Lamar has been injured. The one below that's where it gets interesting to me because I have open, opening, closing, and closed. Mm, and okay. so kind of that in the middle, what direction it points. And Seattle was one of the teams that I had an opening for the exact reason that you mentioned, which was you've got so much around it. The interesting part becomes like, has it been enough this year now that we've seen from Gino where he's just the the guy going forward? Like you try and ride this out now that this is seemingly something sort of the way that you found Russ in a spot that you weren't expecting where now you've brought Gino in and you caught lightning in a bottle.
1: It's It's a little bit trickier than... If Seattle were, well, okay, let me just say what it is. Seattle has is going to have one of the best draft picks next year. And that's what throws a little bit of a wrench into this because they have the Denver pick, which right now I believe is two. We'll see where it ends mm-hmm. up, but I don't think it's outside their own possibility to confidently say it's probably going to be a top five pick, right? They have actually the yep. second rounder too, if I remember correctly. So, And then their own picks. So they have a ton of draft ammunition, but notably, they have a pick at the very top of the draft. And that's what makes this a little tricky, because if they didn't have that, I would say absolutely no way. Stick with Geno. He's played so well. Um, But, you know, not only with a rookie draft pick, do you have the potential to potentially upgrade a quarterback you also have a quarterback who will be very cheap, which is an incredible mm. asset in football. So I think it's a, you know, I, I have leaned for much of the season season on sticking with Gino. I mean, shoot, we've seen so many early round, first round quarterbacks fail recently or struggle that it's like the bird in hand. Um, but I can see a universe in which Seattle loves like a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young, depending on how things shake out, where they might even like stick with Gino for a year and draft a quarterback. I think the other complicating factor for Seattle is the defense is very bad and very much in need of help. So as tempting as it is to take quarterback, Will Anderson Jr. and Jalen Carter are also going to be right there. And you have the opportunity to get a game-changing player on the defensive line, which is sorely needed because it looks like they drafted pretty well at cornerback with Tariq Willen and Kobe Bryant.
0: See, what you just described there, if I were to have wiped the name of the team that we were talking about before, makes it really interesting because almost everything you described is the Detroit Lions, too team with a really bad defense that's improved some down the stretch of the season, but has this incredible offense and a veteran quarterback that was brought over to be the bridge guy that also apparently did not write back when people wrote him off in Jared Goff. And I talked with uh, Trevor Sykema from Pro Football Focus, and he was the one that kind of floated an idea that I've seen more and more in this last week or or a couple weeks after the Lions um, have started to perform even better in the middle of this win streak was Hey, what if you hold on to Jared Goff and you say, hey, I know we've got these two first-rounders as part of the Rams trade. What if I trade back and stack more capital? And what if I throw more at the defense and try and do that while I've got this quarterback that's comparatively more affordable and then try and work through it the way we've seen some of these other teams that have sort of built up the castle around before installing the king at the top?
1: I think that I will say now, I think that's probably going to be the approach Seattle takes. Maybe they won't trade back. I mean, that's going to be like how much – I think Jalen Carter and Will Anderson Jr. are so special that it's going to be hard to trade back. Even though it will be enticing if another team wants to trade in that position to get one of those quarterbacks, and if you can get a mother load, then you probably trade back. But those are really good players. It's really tricky. Um, yeah, I mean these things are not easy. They're hard decisions, but they're both both of those teams are in pretty good positions because I don't think anyone expected those quarterbacks to be playing well. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's champagne problems, right? Do you write it out and try to build the rest of the team or do you go for the quarterback now because you think you've got a good shot at, uh, one of the really special ones? I think ultimately that's kind of where this comes down to is your evaluation. Do you really believe one of those guys is truly special? The good news, Mike, is uh, teams always get it right, so yes. they'll, they'll be sure to make the correct decision.
0: <laughs> I can could, I could tell you one thing. The quarterbacks are going to be an interesting study because I think as we get closer to the yeah. draft, Bryce Young and his size. I mean, you've seen Bryce in person. That size is going to become a very real factor. At some point, C.J. Stroud and his build will kind of be the same thing. There's going to be a weird Will Levis conversation <laughs> that is no doubt going to happen post-combine. You guys can just pencil that in now. Whew. Like physically freakish skill set that's worked in a Shanahanian offense for the last two years. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna be a thing that we do. But you mentioned the name, the surest bet in sports. Just pick Jalen Carter. If you have a chance to pick Jalen oh Carter, God. pick Jalen Carter. He is that's terrifying.
1: The moment where he lifted who did he, he was, it was a big man who he lifted.
0: Oh, yeah. It was uh, Jaden Daniels, who was the quarterback Jay, for LSU. Yeah. Sorry, that he
1: was he like six three? Oh, my God. He lifted him with more ease than I lift Lenny. I dog. like it was shocking. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: I heard the full cast guys talking about that. That's got to be more disrespectful to be picked up than to actually be slammed what? down by a player. The, the
1: disrespectful thing is not that he picked him up. It's that he pointed with his other hand <laughs> at the sky. I don't think I've ever seen that in my history of watching amateur and professional sports play that, you know, no tape needed, guys. Just play that moment over and over, although the tape is really incredible, right? But, um, yeah, I mean, I've, 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 somebody photoshopped him at my request in Wolf Gray, and it looked great.
0: So, Oh, shiver shiver me freaking timbers. Yeah, and I, I've seen God thanked in a variety of forms and fashion throughout the work course of sporting events. Never seen it mid-play. That's the first person that's actually given thanks to their Lord and Savior in the middle that's of the play. You,
1: that's, that's how you know God's really on his side, too. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, everyone might think it. Jalen Carter knows it. Um, so yeah, that uh, that is an interesting dilemma for both of those teams. But they're both firmly in the opening. Like very good days ahead. The foundation seems built pretty well. Like just personally for you as a Seattle fan, though. I, it, it seems like this has been really enjoyable for people in Seattle in a way like this is a team that I think most people had written off as like their window had closed. Like this was going to be a hard reset or something similar yeah. to that because no one saw this from Gino. So this seems like it's been a fun ass year for you guys.
1: Yeah. I think it's fun because I, I always find like NFL fandoms really interesting because either your team is really good. So there's like layers. I almost want to build like a, a tiered list of like, fandom and how happy you are so like the highest level is my team is incredible and we're going to the super bowl or we're a super bowl contender right like that's just everybody i mean it's 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 challenging but whatever like it's not challenging for me it's it's emotionally taxing to root for a good team in a way but it's that's that's nirvana that's what you want to get to um and then i would say the bottom is my team is bad and we've given up our draft picks the denver Mm. broncos are in there Saints are kind of flirting with that, having traded away their pick. Um Rams are in an interesting spot because you want to see. So they're like above that because it's like, well, we we did it, but we had it, but now we're bad, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um so below the my team is actually good is my team is bad, but we're sorry, I'm like bouncing around this tiered list. There's my team is bad, but we're going some we're gonna get Bryce Young or whatever. So Seattle's an interesting place because they're not bad and they have the elite draft pick. So I would say they're in that, they're like in between the actually good tier and the bad tier, but we have the good draft pick here because they're enjoyable to watch and that enjoyment is not coming at the cost of the future. So you're like threading mm-hmm. a needle there. That, oh my God, the Eagles are at the top because they have the freaking draft pick and they're going to the Super Bowl. So it's yeah. unbelievable. See, like they just are in total nirvana. So there's all these different layers, but yeah, we're, I think it's like in that, it's like in the second tier of enjoyment of like being actually good. Cause I don't really think they're an actually good team. They have actually good players and actually good pieces, but then also having hope for the future. So it's convoluted. Sorry.
0: No, but it, it, I think it makes sense. And it fits into the like opening idea of teams that are entering sort of a good window because all those you described, even the bad ones where It seems like you're at least you've got an arrow pointed north in one direction, right? You've got hope for offseason spending. You've got hope in draft capital. You've got hope in a new quarter coordinator, a new system. Like I would put the Falcons in that category Mm. of, hey, you've got hope right now because you've had a bad team that's got the arrow pointing down for picks. But you've got a fun offense that's gone out here and got the most out of Marcus Mariota that you possibly could before that well ran dry.
1: Honestly like the Panthers are kind of like that too. Like it's a team that's not great, but they have good players. They have young players who are playing well and they're going to have, well we'll see where the draft pick is, but um there's something to build on there. Um
0: where does a team like the Vikings fit into that conversation because I had like You've got Kevin O'Connell there, who's a new coach and has reinvigorated the offense. Like, it's everything that people wanted coming off the Mike Zimmer era where the offense had gotten kind of stale. But the defense has been totally left behind. And so you've got that. And Kirk Cousins feels like a known commodity. But you've got the best wide receiver in the NFL. Like, I put them in opening because I feel like with that much young promise on offense – and with a coordinator or a head coach coordinator that feels like he's going to be an asset on that side of the ball, I'm counting on them addressing defense in the offseason, But am I reaching too much for them? Is the arrow pointed in a different direction?
1: Vikings fans are already upset with me. I don't want to rile them up anymore. Um, I guess my question is like, how much young talent is there really? So there's they have Darisaw, who's one of the best left tackles in football. Mm. Young, Justin Jefferson, incredible. Thielen's probably kind of near in. You're in yeah. the end there. Um, and then um, on, like it's it, the defense, like the best players are older. So yeah, it's a little dicey and it's, it is, it's already bad. So, and you really needed like, unfortunately, Lewis got hurt this year. Andrew Booth was banged up. So like some of your early draft picks, you didn't get a chance to develop. Um, so I'd be a little bit apprehensive about them. I don't think, I mean, Vikings fans seem very angsty because I think it, it's, they're in my tears. They're in a tough pot spot because they're they they the team is competitive and they're going to the playoffs. But I don't, you know, the, the belief isn't quite there. And then I think it's debatable about the future.
0: Yeah, that seems like a team that is going to be a regression monster next season with all the close games and just how they've won. Like I know people have made the big thing, like point differentials obviously been the banner that's flown for a lot of this, but as you've pointed out, like DVOA efficiency, a lot of the advanced metrics that paint a like more detailed picture also spell average football team. Who's been able to win with, you know, penalty margin and turnover margin and all these things that are actual hidden yardage in a game.
1: I, I do wonder if like, to go elsewhere in the division, they're almost going to be like the Lions were with Stafford and Megatron, where like, Ooh. you know, best wide receiver in football,
0: yeah. quarterback
1: who's like a little bit up and down, but has like high moments, but the rest of the team never quite seems to fill out the right. But, you know, we'll see what happens with some of those younger defensive players.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say they were one of the confusing ones for me because a lot of the other ones, like Jacksonville, finally got a competent coach. Your quarterback really seems to yeah, have flashed. Sure. They're a, I mean, they're a very chaotic team. I think I saw Ben Solak tweet not too long ago that they score a ton of points against the good defenses and then not a lot against bad <laughs> defenses, and they're really hard to predict.
1: I would never bet on the Jaguars. They have to be the highest variance team in the NFL. Like at week to week, who knows what I mean, they got killed by the Lions and then they killed the Titans. Like what it doesn't make sense. Uh...
0: No, they're they're very chaotic, but arrow firmly pointed up there. I would say like Dolphins are an easy one in that one. Jets feel like an easy one in that mm-hmm. one with the defense they've built and the yeah. you know, young skill players on both sides of the ball they've managed to pull up here. The only other one that was interesting to me, like I would, you know, and I don't want to spend too much time on them for obvious reasons. Like the Browns technically fall in this category. There's a lot on the football field to like there, and we know why they invested in the quarterback that they did. So, oh, huh. yeah. I mean, I,
1: this is coming out in a couple of weeks. So maybe Watson lights the world on fire in between yeah. us having this conversation, but thus far it's a little worrisome.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely not been the return that they were looking for. Even if want, people want to, you know, use the time away and the amount of time away as an excuse to some extent, it's still it's still been pretty tough to go. Um, but then the Giants, because theirs is confusing mm. because Brian Dable feels like the coach that has mm-hmm. lit the fire under their ass in so many ways. They had a great first half of the season, but it clearly doesn't seem like Daniel Jones is going to be the guy there anymore. I didn't think that was going to be the case unless it was at Really, the right price, and you just aren't in range to get anything else. But
1: yeah, what, what was your read on them? Giants are tough because there's a lot of needs: secondary need, skill players need, quarterback need. That's a lot of very important positions. I do. I will say, I think I did this a couple weeks ago. Something that is encouraging is I think their defensive line. All of their early picks have really flashed this year. I've really liked what I've seen from Kayvon Thibodeau um, after the first few weeks of the season. Once he really heated up, I think he has the potential to be a really complete player. Ojalari's put on some good games. Dexter Lawrence has been extremely good. So there are some... And then we know Andrew Thomas is really good. We'll see how Evan Neal finishes out the season. I don't know. Maybe you have a more strong take on him at right tackle. Because there's like building blocks in the trenches. Um... But they, it's, it's outside of the trenches that they need to do a lot of work.
0: By the way, quietly very sexy year for interior defensive line play between what's gone on in Buffalo, Christian Wilkins Whew. becoming just completely unblockable oh in Miami.
1: I, we did a... I did a segment today. We did a re and act where we kind of highlight something around the league. DJ Reader in Cincinnati is hey. one of the most important players in the NFL right now because, and this goes back to your we you were saying about the run game, the most valuable thing in football, not the most valuable thing, but if you can stop the run without allocating extra resources towards stopping the run, uh, that is very powerful. Uh, and it's part of the reason why the Cincinnati Bengals defense, like Louie Andaruma, was able to scheme up so many different defensive looks, you know, whether it's their now, I guess, signature dropping or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, yeah. different sorts of blitzes and projects. Like, he um, – D- D- but DJ Reader, like, when he came back to that defense, made such an immediate impact, not just stopping the run, but also he's very disruptive against the past as well. Um, yeah, it's it's a big deal for Quinn and Williams in New York.
0: Oh, like, man. Him, Jeff I Simmons, mean – Simmons,
1: I mean, geez. At, yeah. Ed
0: Oliver in Buffalo Oliver, coming on. I mean, yeah. I, c- I can hear Philadelphia fans crying Jordan Davis-shaped tears right now. I mean, but uh, yeah, no, it's – it's and to your point, that's been one of the biggest things. We talk all the time about the things that offenses have sort of lifted from college to the NFL. I think defensively what we've seen, Kirby and Nick Saban and a lot of those teams run, <laughs> Lenny's very passionate about interior defense. I think I might have a delivery. Play. One second. Okay, go for it. Okay, okay. So yes. Uh, shout out to all of the NFL's fine interior beef. Uh, yours is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I n- no matter when this is released, no play will top. Uh, by the way, offensively, Dan Campbell throwing the ball to Panay Sewell on a third and seven to clinch the game. God tier coaching move. My sword and my shield forever belong to him.
1: He really. I I think he's a good coach. I. I mean, it's always hard to like with head coaches. We tend to just focus on like a few decisions a game and like cl- unless they're calling the plays and we look at the play calling. But when they're not calling the plays like Campbell, it's like, okay, I like a lot of your decisions. I like the aggression. I like the coaches you did hire. Your team play like, I know it's like, I feel like everyone says this about the Lions. They play hard, but it's not easy to bounce back after a one and six start and do what they, they've done. We'll see what if that holds. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that was incredible. I mean, the it was almost balletic, like his uh, movement mm-hmm. abilities. It was like an enormous cat, like jumping. I don't know if big cats jump, but
0: no, it it was it was it was like a dancer because there was like a little pirouette to it as he went yeah. over there. My only regret was that he didn't stay up long enough to absolutely punish someone in the open field because oh. he would have. He's he's got that dog in him, like Pene, a twenty two year old fully grown man.
1: I love it. I love it. I I, I saw, you know, I, well, I, I saw I made I did the there was a, obviously you remember the Panay versus Jamar Chase debate as it pertains to the Bengals. And um, at first I was going to tweet like something like, well, can like Jamar Chase block? But he actually can block pretty. He's like a good blocker. So it didn't really make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it was Panay who had to prove himself. But that's a rare yeah. like both sides worked out. Kind of thing. I think I don't think there's any losers in that one.
0: Nope, no bad choices. You could absolutely, along the way, I'm sure, Photoshop Jamar Chase into blocking for Joe Burrow <laughs> and get him throwing to himself. So it's uh no beautiful, a beautiful moment for big people everywhere. Um I want to look at the bottom half of this mm, in the okay. the close, the closing and close. First okay. off, I want to start at like the very bottom. Tell me if you think there's any that don't belong. Closing, um, closed, enclosed, yeah, like. Pack okay. it up. There is nothing to worry Got about. Got to rebuild. Yeah, yeah. Patriots.
1: Ah! <sighs> That's tough for me because I do like some of their young players, but it. I think the question with the Patriots is like, okay, if you had a better quarterback, how much better would this team be? Like who do I who are, like the young players? I like Christian Barmore. Which has been okay. Kyle Dogger is really good. Young, they have like young corners. I actually like their latest draft class. I don't know. I might put them more in that third tier. I don't know. We,
0: they're just they're tough for me because one, it feels like any hope I would have would be predicated on them making changes in the offensive coaching staff. Yeah. Cause I don't think you can keep rolling out this judge and Patricia combo and expect it to get better. I'm yeah. not sure what happens with Mac Jones. And then the offensive line this year has been beat up and in flux. There's been a lot of injury on that front. And that was the area that we thought last year, we were going to be able to count on with them. And it's taken yeah. a, it's taken a big decided hit. So I just like, I, you're right. Defensively, Tons to like. That's a very good defensive team that certainly filled out its roster in a bunch of those ways on the young side. But I just have questions about the identity on the other side, especially when you're in a division with Buffalo that's not going to get any less yeah. Buffalo in the immediate future. The
1: Jets and the Dolphins. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. Yeah.
0: And just it, it, that one, that one also probably for me is just relative to what you had before. Like you came out of the greatest winning window of the championship mm-hmm. level that we've seen in modern pro sports. And so that's, I'm kind of putting them off to the side. The other ones like the Bucks. that feels like it's done that roster seems yeah tapped. Brady seems you know, yeah. At, you know he's not going to get any better let's put it that way so
1: yeah Bucks are it's really like that the offensive side like the the line seems like it's it's in decline a little bit even with you know they still have a couple of really good players
0: but I had the Rams down there too I think that's fair I mean and and to your point like this isn't one where it's necessarily a negative that was your plan you told everyone exactly what you were yeah. going to doing you maybe yeah. didn't think it was going to fall off this hard this fast but you didn't not yeah. leave yourself a ton of room for error in the process so I
1: think with that the biggest concern too is like I'm really not sure what's going on with Matthew Stafford and his health and his future there so and they yeah. they're not in a position I think to
0: Quietly very weird move there too Liam Cohn going back to Kentucky Yeah I saw that and I was like, does he know something that the rest of us don't know? Because just going back and forth between Los Angeles to Kentucky, while maybe good for whatever frequent flyer program you had, maybe he just really likes the bluegrass state. But something about that felt very strange to me, especially because Kentucky's losing their quarterback. Like Will Levis is going pro, the guy that he was working with there. So he's not going back with some – I think Graham Mertz from Wisconsin's transferring there who was a touted prospect, but it's not the ace in the hole that you had when it was Levis in the middle of that offense. Yeah, I
1: can't imagine Leon Cohn's had a great time this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I actually don't really know what the temperature is with Rams fans and him, but like that offense is the their deadline is just non functional, so Yeah, I I can't really do much.
0: I saw Jordan Rodriguez at The Athletic has done a phenomenal job adding social content to her already very busy resume of things she's great at. And she did a full breakdown on a whiteboard of every offensive line combination that the Rams have gone through so far this season. And that reel was extensive. So they're. Yeah, it's the preseason all-stars. Yeah, bad news there. The the other ones that feel like the Raiders, like that's a team that's very much in a listless transition. Yeah. The Texans seems pretty obvious. Nothing good is going to happen there anytime soon. The Steelers close their championship window. I think I think you could uh, tell I think, me no, different. I think, that.
1: I think that's fair. Even though I have been impressed relative to my expectations when it comes to Kenny Pickett, um, I do think they've got a ways to go before I like really think of them as being a championship team.
0: And then the last one would be the Colts. Like, ooh,
1: yeah, Colts too. They're like good in the wrong ways, or they're well, even if I mean, this was kind of like a concern that people quietly, even when they were so praised for some of their draft picks, and it was like, oh, but it's like guard and off-ball linebacker. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's yeah, yeah. I think that's a good choice there.
0: So the the last complicated group, then, and I'll just read it start to finish. You tell me what you think mm-hmm. of in the like closing category. So it's still open, but we're definitely on the back half of this. Packers feel like an obvious candidate for this one. Um, Broncos, mm. Titans, Saints, Cardinals, and Cowboys.
1: The Broncos are so tough because I don't know how they're going to get better on offense they can't move on from Russell Wilson. They don't have a path towards like the, the only way they're not closed is if he dramatically turns it around. Mike, I mean, I guess like in a couple, it's a, it's an incredible defense, but
0: I don't that know. was my, that was my only thought is maybe if something clicks and I would imagine like, at, wait, I you imagine the Cowboys? If, yeah. I said the Cowboys in there too. As far as closing, I think their best days are behind them. Don't you?
1: yes they're a good example of a team where this is this is the gear i think so yes. i think that's fair yeah because you're not saying they're not a good team you totally you know no. it's, it's more just like you know the yeah
0: no, they're, they're a good team, but like you said, yeah. the clock is very much ticking. A lot of their key parts are getting old. Like Tyron Smith, we're talking about yeah. him coming back for a home stretch, but that guy with the amount of injury he sustained, that's not going to be much longer. The Terrence Steele injury certainly has a setback there. Zach Martin's in year nine, are getting close to yeah. a decade in the league, so he's not going to be around forever to be like the one thing you can count on. Zeke, you know, is they're probably, you know, obviously getting Tony Pollard, even if you move on from Zeke, you're in great shape. You've got one of the best backs in the league and a defensive player of the year to build around mm. on the other side. But it just feels like so much of their foundation. It's like when you're mm. you in a movie and you've got the car that's on the edge of the cliff and it's like, <laughs> all right, if no one moves right now, we got a chance to make it out of this thing. Yeah. We can do it. But if one thing goes Away or goes the wrong way, which for the Cowboys this year on the injury front's kind of been the case, it feels like you're going over the cliff.
1: Yeah, I think. And the injury thing's been so brutal because it's been kind of like cluster injuries, like a cornerback. Like, mm-hmm. this, like, you know, they lost Jordan Lewis for the season, they lost Anthony Brown. That's a very thin group right now. And you're about to head into a stretch where you play a team like, I don't know, the Eagles. They will find those mismatches. Um, hopefully, you know. However, old Jason Peters can hold up at right tackle. He looked really good on the game-winning drive. Um, now that Terrence Steele's out for the season, but again, what happens if he goes down? Like this is, you know, it's just. Yeah. It, it, it suddenly, you're right. I think you're right that it's like it's it's very precarious in Dallas. It's very precarious.
0: Yeah, and you know what? This is one where like maybe they have a chance to flip it if there's some really prudent moves made in the come like coming couple of off seasons as you recycle around because you've got great receiver and skill talent you've in theory got Dak that's going to be there and be you know a foundation there for a while and then those players on defense you know you've got pass rush and pass coverage set up with at least a one-to-one the way the Rams were able to build around for so long but it just feels like it's going to be requiring the appropriate tinkering and with Jerry that's always kind of an adventure even if he has you know filled it up right up until this point um, the Packers are the other one that was interesting to me because I think through all of the consternation from this year, there's part of me that wonders like, all right, if Rodgers gets a whole offseason to be healthy, we've seen some improvement from Christian Watson and some of these young guys, the line gets healthy, I could talk myself into there being more good play left in Rodgers than some of these other old quarterbacks. I'm no
1: longer talking myself into this defense. I clowned myself big time. Mm. I I clowned myself. Yeah, clown myself thinking that they would be good. I I talk myself into them constantly because they seem so talented and they underperform consistently. Different coordinators doesn't matter. So I am very skeptical of this Packers defense and their ability, which they've invested a ton of draft capital in. Yeah. But... um.
0: That is true because it's like it, it's a yeah. young defense that they've invested town in on every level. I mean, they've been building that secondary for years to the dismay of Aaron Rodgers on offense, and then you go a bunch of the Georgia guys in the front seven, which usually is a pretty sure bet. Like, yeah. usually that's a good way to build a football team. If nothing else, just pick guys from Georgia in the last couple of years and you'll be fine. But, yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe Barry is going to get shown the door. You'd imagine that happens sooner than later at some point. Like, as we start to look at some of those, like you're right, though that's sort of been the issue. That was my one bit of hope for, like the Broncos too, is like, all right, maybe because Nathaniel Hackett, I can't imagine is going to survive this season if you can't get rid of Russ. and so maybe that jar something loose, maybe a jar. Like I'm, you're right. I'm talking myself into getting hurt again. I could feel it hurt worrying well, in my head right now. It,
1: it's kind of just like these. There's teams where when we talk about this kind of concept of the window. The talent's not going to be that different at key positions, so the question is, can coaching get more out of them? And we've seen that before in the NFL, but that, to me, is like the hardest thing in football to project, is can a coach get more out of this quarterback or this roster? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd be nervous about betting on that when it comes to any of these teams.
0: And that's why their window's closing inching down ever so slightly. You can get a little breeze coming in the house, but it's not much more than a faint whisper at this point. Um, Mina, were there any in there that stuck out that you disagreed with wholeheartedly? Was there anything that I, I got too wrong on the back half of that one?
1: Uh, no, the I, I, may be, I may be a little bit more optimistic about Dallas than you. Just having one of the best young pass rushers, the Tyler Smith pick, seems to have hit. But mm there are holes elsewhere on the roster. I also I don't have cap in front of me, but I think they're pretty capped out if I remember correctly. So, um that obviously factors into all of these teams' cap space and and draft picks. So, that's fair. I think and, and conversely, I think I'm a little bit more pessimistic pessimistic about Green Bay than you.
0: Yeah, that's and you what probably well-earned pessimism at this point though. But um uh I don't want to end on a really negative note on this one because it feels like send ending with the downer teams is a bad holiday note to send people off on. Um, Mina, one last Christmas question for you. Do you remember the best or worst gift that you ever got?
1: Um, So the best gift I've ever gotten, gosh, there's been a few over the years. I really liked dollhouses when I was young. I used to build dollhouse furniture as a hobby. So my first dollhouse, which I filled with furniture that I made, (laughs) Uh, was a pretty (laughs) huge gift for me. Uh, Yeah. Um, So that would be... And then the other one is my husband, a few years ago, gave me like a sweater that's like, it looks like when I put it on, I look like a yak. It's like the biggest sweater you can imagine. And I just wear it like probably every day because I'm always perpetually cold living in Los Angeles. So in terms of like use, you know, per just like yeah. uh, the, how much I got out of it, I would say that rings pretty high.
0: Utility of adult gifts is, I think, the thing that I've found myself more centered on than anything lately when I think about what to get people. Is is this something they're going to use? Because as someone that sits around in a very cluttered apartment at times right now, I'm always like, the last thing I want to do is jam more things into someone's life.
1: Right. Which is why I like as adults, we get each other like restaurant certificates or like, you know, wine. I mean, I feel like wh- liquor is always like pretty high on the list of like, they'll actually use this. um, we're in a secret Santa for NFL live. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and think I'm going to assume Adam Schefter is not going to hear this. So Adam Schefter is not my, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think Adam's a frequent listener of the podcast. So this is a safe space. So have you, have you picked out what you're going to get for Adam?
1: Yeah. So I got him a, uh, Michigan t-shirt from Homefield apparel,
0: So I
1: seem safe. Adam loves Michigan, right? So I texted Field Yates and I was like, this is a weird question, but what size T-shirt does Adam wear? So don't put this on social because I don't want him to be spoiled. But uh, what would you be your guess?
0: Ooh, I would say so. Adam's obviously on the shorter side, but I remember when they had him on Monday countdown go and do his impression of Kirk Cousins wearing the chains. A little more chest than I oh, was expecting it, yeah. out of Adam, so I'll go. I'll go firmly. I'll go firmly a large.
1: Large. Okay, so I was thinking medium. So, feel hits me back. He's like, it's kind of crazy, but he loves extra large shirts. Oh, Adam Schefter, tall Baggy tea man, guy. tall tea fella.
0: <laughs> Adam Schefter misses the early 2000s so badly. My dad's like
1: that, too, where he like doesn't wear clothes that he likes big shirts. But
0: Oh, Mina, my dad wears the same rotation of like four shirts that are life is good shirts and then Bass Pro Shop fishing shirts. Wait, your
1: dad wears life. I always wonder who wears life is good apparel.
0: And my brother, now that he is also a dad, has adopted the life is good model. His are a little bit more like true to fit, but my dad's just walking around wearing loose fitting life is good shirts from the early 2000s that are just worn down. There are also, I believe, in his closet, still some big dog shirts in rotation. I
1: was just about to say, I think like when a man becomes a father is when you transition from big dog to life is good because it brings out like an emotional core that didn't exist before.
0: (laughs) Yep, there's a sweetness as opposed to that gruff exterior.
1: And then when you become a grandfather, it turns into, I don't know, Tommy Bahama. What is like the old man version of
0: life? 100, 100%. You've seen Andy Reid's wardrobe. That's where all dads eventually go when they achieve nirvana.
1: What is the pre big dog face if we're doing the t shirts life cycle of men? Well, <laughs> you as, know. Some,
0: as someone who, um, well, currently it's interesting because like currently I think everyone's just wearing some sort of like Lululemon or athleisure variant. But if I were to say spiritually what it would be, it would be the early 2000s college phase I went through of graphic tees. So like all the Ed Hardy t-shirts, oh, all the tap God. out t-shirts I went through when I was at the Hawaii Bowl my freshman year. I had $500 in bull gift money that I blew on some of the most insane looking Armani exchange shirts of all <laughs> <Armani> time, <laughs> time that I wore frequently in <laughs> South Bend bars.
1: I guess like in high school, it's like Abercrombie and American Eagle. Although in our, I don't think it's around anymore, but no fear was probably the spiritual predecessor to big dog for children. Like a no fear child became a big dog teen Became a life is good dad. And then a Tommy Bahamas grandma. (laughs) The
0: the life cycle of man. Someone needs to Photoshop that onto the evolution of man graphic.
1: White man, to be clear. (laughs) Yes. White 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 man brands.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I know. Make that abundantly clear. These are the same people that will grow up and be like Al Michaels saying holy mackerel in public for all to hear. I say
1: holy mackerel.
0: Oh, see? You know what? Listen, everyone's got a little bit of old white man tendency in them. Deep down in places they don't talk about in parties, there's some of that there. <laughs> that Ugh. is the that is the old white man life cycle. That is also Adam Schefter's. press. None of y'all be snitches this don't holiday spoil. season.
1: Don't tweet it at Adam, haters yeah. if you do that.
0: Honestly, this is this is this tree of trust here. Mina Kimes is our friend. She's your friend. So listen, this is for your info. And then act surprised when Adam tweets about this on social media and loves it up here. Check her out on social media at Mina Kimes. Check out the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny wherever you get your podcast. And as always, the NFL live crew, the best in the business, the best doing it. Mina, happy holidays. Thank you, friend. Bye. Boom, money in the bank.